You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, my people? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, coming at you with another episode of the Seeking Essence podcast. Thank you all for listening. It's great to be with you today. So uh, first, I just want to tell you guys again, you know, if you haven't downloaded the Halo app yet, I don't know what you're doing with your life. We had almost 200,000 people join us uh, in Pray 40 this Lent with Jim Caviezel and Jonathan Rumi, who played Jesus in the Passion of the Christ in the Chosen TV series, respectively. And it was absolutely amazing, life-changing for many people. Continue to get great feedback. Over 45 million prayers completed in the app. Just want to encourage you, if you haven't tried it out yet, you're trying to up your prayer game um, or you're trying to sustain your prayer game or you're just new in the prayer game, it is great for you. So we get, I'm always, you know, very impressed by the wide diversity and range of people that give us feedback on how much it impacted their lives from those who are converts to the Catholic faith, those who are Protestant to those who are diehard Catholics and have been for many years. And so there's lots of different content in the app, obviously. You can learn about the saints. You can, you know, get some great reflections on the daily gospel. Um, there's mental health content in there. There's content for your kids. You can pray with uh, little kids from ages three, you know what I mean? All the way up to 17. It's kind of broken down every about four years or so. Um, and just some great stuff. So I highly encourage you to check it out. we got some good stuff going on um, coming up in the next couple of months some exciting things uh, that we're going to be launching and, and new content. So be sure to go and check that out. So if you haven't checked the, out the Hallow app yet, download Hallow today. Uh, we have a link and a code that can give you an extended free trial as well. Uh, so we'll put that in the show notes as usual. All right. So great to be with you today. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, it is a little brighter in here. It's, it's nice and early in the morning here on Good Friday. Uh, beautiful day here in Denver. Um, and very excited uh, about the Triduum. Went to Holy Thursday Mass last night with my lovely wife. I got to read, and it was really cool how many people uh, were there. We knew so many people who were there. One of my RAs, Kenny Howard, was in that house. Uh, we had um, uh, Madeline Caden, Madeline Shree Caden. I forget what his last name is. My homie from uh, Religious Roast Coffee. They were there. If you haven't checked out Religious Roast, that's going to be um, we're going to be doing some ads for that coming up as well. Uh, but yeah, so they were in the house. Uh, we had lots of friends and, and people that we just have known from different parts in our lives and stuff. That so was really cool. Um, and so it was great to see so many people. My in-laws were there. Um, and then one of Emily's aunt and uncles as well. I guess 
my aunt, our, our aunt and uncle uh, were there in the house too. So always fun to read um, at mass. I really enjoy it. Uh, I know that might trigger some of the trads out there. I, I, I'm not saying that you have to be able to do it, but I do enjoy doing it when you can. So uh, big fan of lecturing. If you haven't lectured before, I highly recommend it. I think I've shared this before, but one of my favorite things about lecturing is that especially like last night, it was packed. Like, I mean, overflowing, right? Like multiple rows of people in the side aisles and like in the back, it was just packed. And it makes me a little nervous, you know, like one of my like core memories as a kid was just how bad I was at reading out loud when the teachers would make us read out loud. And so for me, it's really powerful to have to read out loud and to have to do that in front of so many people. Now, obviously I've grown a lot in my public speaking and my ability to read out loud in front of people but it still kind of is like one of those like really deep fears. And so I'm like just pretty nervous before I go up sometimes last night, especially. And I think it's just good. It's good to experience that, right? It's good to tackle on your fears and to go, uh, you know, against what you're afraid of um, and to really just show yourself constantly that you don't need to be afraid of it. And so that, that kind of brings me to um, one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about recently and today I'm kind of I'm kind of feeling like just going wherever the you know the spirit leads this morning as far as what to talk about. Um, but there's one thing that I had kind of in mind. I just brainstormed a bunch of topics. And whenever I do that, it's always hard to pick one. But uh, one thing is I was just kind of reading through Beyond Order. So if you remember uh, my most recent solo podcast, I talked about this book. I talked about Beyond Order uh, from Jordan Peterson because we saw him live on the Beyond Order tour, and so. Um, I, I was just kind of flipping through because I was like, maybe I'll do a chapter on that, um, you know, read some of the rules and, and go over one of the rules and kind of share my thoughts on it um, and read a couple of quotes from the book, which still might happen. But uh, one thing that he talks about semi-frequently, and I think he talks about it in this book, but I've heard him, you know, I listen to him a lot as well. I listen to a lot of YouTube videos and podcasts and, and stuff like that. So, um, but I listen to a lot of Jordan Peterson, probably Jordan Peterson, and Ben Shapiro, probably the two I listen to the most. Um, Father Mike Schmitz is up there as well, but, um, and Dave Rubin's probably like top five or so is also, cause I think he's pretty funny. Um, but one of the things, uh, Jordan Peterson talks about a lot is fear and he, he likes to address and talk about the things that we're afraid of. Right. And so this will kind of lead into the, the chapter that I was thinking about talking about today. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll go with that. I'll go in that direction, but one of the things he talks about with fear that's kind of outside of the outside of the chapter, I think somewhere else in the book, is he talks about how it's actually surprising that we're not more afraid, right? Sometimes we're afraid of things and we get surprised that we're afraid. But he talks about how natural it is, obviously, for humans to experience fear. But not only is it natural for humans to experience fear, but we also should basically be afraid all the time right? Like we're so easily killed. That's kind of like his, his, one of his like premises is that we could like, you could die so easily, right? Like anytime you leave the house, like you're, you're almost facing a constant threat of death. The fact that we feel so calm while driving in a car down the highway, he's like, that's pretty absurd, right? Like you could literally just crash and die. You're trusting thousands of other people that are driving past you to like stay in their lane, you know, um, that they're not drunk drivers that they're, you know, uh, cognizant that they know what they're doing that they're not texting and driving and gonna just swerve in and like kill you and um that the threat of violence um the threat of like disease the threat of 
um, food poisoning. If you know, if you've ever had food poisoning before, man, that'll change your life. I've had it a few times. Um, I got some bad luck with food poisoning, man, but the, all these things, right? Like you have to keep this in mind, like, um, that we actually should be afraid more often than we are. So it's not abnormal to be afraid, but there's kind of like the rational brain, right? When you think about like your rational brain, you have kind of your conscious or subconscious brain, like your subconscious brain is wired for survival, right? So that kind of is the reason why fear comes comes about in your mind is because it's like it senses a threat and you don't really have time. And that's the fight or flight response, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. Uh, more accurately. And so you have that natural innate response to be like, okay, am I going to fight? Am I going to run away? Or do you just, is it just too much? You just freeze. And we should be more afraid, but the rational brain is what comes in and actually dominates and takes over some of those fears. So that's why you should actively try to do things that make you a little nervous, right? That make you afraid. It is no surprise to me that those who don't do that, I think about the people in my life and people I've known um, the people who don't challenge themselves to do things that make them nervous or afraid are the most anxious and worried all the time, right? You think about the daredevils, right? You think about like a, a Tony Hawk or, or some of the people who do like X game stuff. And, and they're like, I, I don't think many of them, like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. This is this total speculation, but my guess would be many of them don't like struggle with anxiety, right? Like the kids, when I think of like kids who struggle with anxiety, maybe this is too stereotypical, and I'm not saying this is everybody, right? But I'm just saying, I think the majority of people um, live pretty safe, sheltered, probably overbearing parents um, who are often worried, excessively worried about things, um, come to have anxiety uh, and maybe even depression, right? You can also look at that on like a societal level, which is much more documented and objective than what I just spurted out as opinion, is we have only increased our level of uh, prescriptions for anxiety and depressive medicines as we've gotten more safe, more affluent, um, life is easier than ever before. Um, and yet when we do that, we manufacture these other issues and find other things to be afraid of and worried about. Right. So um, it's kind of in our nature. Like I said, it's in our nature to kind of have an adversary. It's in our nature to have fear and worries and things like that. But you got to keep that stuff in check. That's what I want to encourage you to do today. Keep your fears in check. Because those things will run wild on you. And so do the things. I mean, that's why I love jumping out of planes when I was in the army. Right. It was like it was scary as hell every time. I know you had your tough guys who would be like, no, it's not that bad. Like you get used to it. I don't think you do. It was. I mean, nothing was as scary as the first time. Because then I at least had some confidence that I was going to live after. But it was pretty terrifying each time. Right. So, but then you lose that. Right. And so it's like, well, what do you do next? You know? And I'll like, I'll legit, like just going to play pickup basketball. We have like a Tuesday night men's league here, like try to get myself nervous beforehand, you know, like I will like, and I did this playing basketball as a kid in high school and college, like everywhere I played, I would like play like mental mind games with myself, but it's a great way to do it and get myself like a little nervous and be like, you have to perform even with these nerves. Right. Or you have to like face the fear of playing somebody who I was really excited because I, I played this past Tuesday with uh, this kid who just dominated me. <laughs> it was unreal. And he was like a nerdy kid. He wasn't really an athlete, um, not really an athlete. Uh, uh, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Go Coach 30, Mr. Go 30 on Instagram, one of my favorite accounts. Um, 
but this kid, yeah, he just, I mean, he was hitting the luckiest shots I'd ever seen. And I was pretty confident that he doesn't normally play like that, but I wasn't really sure because I never played with him before that day. But I played him again this past week, and so I was, like, getting myself nervous, right? Like, talking trash to myself, essentially. This is where you get into the insights of me kind of being, like, a borderline psychopath. Um, probably not that, not borderline, but, like, closer to it than most, maybe. But getting yourself worked up and getting yourself psyched up. Anyway, I, I dumped all over this kid in <laughs> this past Tuesday. It was amazing. In multiple games. Um, outscored him many fold and so it was it was very enjoyable to be able to do that but that only comes with playing the mind games and one of the things i learned playing those mind games too when i was in high school especially but i also had to do it in college i would really piss my teammates off because i would be the person i remember one time specifically doing this it was like the senior year um uh like tournament and i we we won our first game um, and I played CYO, mind you. So I played like I ended. It was a whole thing. I also tell the story sometime about how I got into smoking weed as a sophomore. Ended up quitting the basketball team um, for my school, and then got cut my junior year because I quit my sophomore year. I should have never quit. It was a mistake, um, but uh, led to many good things. I think led to me doing ROTC in college and things like that. So uh, God made good out of my my stupid decisions, but. I played CYO basketball and we had a good CYO league in Pennsylvania in general, a lot of the like D one football players and track athletes and um, D one. Yeah. People who were going D one or, or D two and other sports would play CYO. So we were pretty competitive, but um, it was really fun. I, I ended up loving it and playing with my friends uh, for my church and my grade school, St. Margaret Mary's in Harrisburg. So one second. So our senior year, like every year in CYO, especially like in our diocese and Harrisburg diocese, we had like a team that was like the dominant team, right? There was always one team that was like that. And we tried to compete with the one our junior year and we just couldn't. Um, they had too many, too many football players, too many athletes that were just incredible. Um, and so I think, I don't think we got like blown out by them, but we definitely couldn't beat them. But then my senior year, we were that team. And so it's like our, our championship, like Dawson tournament, right? And he had to win three games to win it all. And uh, the first game, I put up 36 on St. Leo's, which was, man, a beautiful experience uh, because they <laughs> were like, they were the kids who like dominated us in eighth grade. And so four years later to come back and dominate them, I learned a lot of lessons that day um, and really, really loved doing that. So, uh, so, so yeah, so I put up 36 this game. And literally after the game, we're watching the team move to play next. We'd already beaten twice throughout the year. And um, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, dude, we can't, I don't think we can beat them. Right. Like, I think we're going to lose. Uh, and my teammates would get so mad. But one thing I knew about myself was the reason why I put up 36 on St. Leo's was because I had it in my mind that like, we couldn't beat them because we never could in grade school. They would destroy us. I was like, man, I thought the kid, they had like two kids with beards in like seventh grade. And I was like, we can't, we can't compete with this. Right. And so I had it in my mind that we couldn't beat them. And that's always been my trigger. I have to have an aspect of like, I can't win this game unless I play outstanding in order to do really well. And so those are some of the mind games. I do the same thing sometimes when I'm going to give a talk and public speaking to be like, okay, you know, I have to uh, perform really well or like people are um, gonna, you know, you have to kind of prove yourself. Like I really love the, the prove yourself performances. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to get to like a toxic level. People get so dramatic with this stuff and, and being like, well, you shouldn't have to, you have nothing to prove. And, and that's kind of like the pregame hype they give to a lot of people. And it's kind of, it's kind of to me, like the mentality of 
And that's true, right? That can be true. Scotty Scheffler, when he won the Masters, had a great comment about that, how his wife kind of t- took away his nerves. And different people will have, diff- have different styles, right? So I, I, I fully support this in some times. And Scotty Scheffler is obviously a savage athlete. He's been dominating the PGA Tour. So he's, he's not soft by any means mentally. Um, but he talked about his wife. He talked about his faith kind of being a pillar for him. Um, really beautiful video. Maybe I should link that in the comments as well. Because, uh, man, it was awesome to see, one, his performance, but then his, his post-game speech about his faith being, you know, everything to him and his wife and him praying the morning of Sunday and uh, the, the final day. And, and her telling him, you know, like, your identity is not in golf. Your identity is who you are as a son of God. Win or lose, I'm still going to love you um, and everything's going to be great, right? So, so yeah, so beautiful stuff. The And, and you don't want to, like, getting to be like, you know, I'm going to hate you or people are going to hate you. If you, yeah, you can get really negative and toxic with it. But I think sometimes we, we just kind of lose that, like, yeah, kind of like the Mamba mentality, right? Like the stuff Kobe would talk about or MJ, like just kind of being a killer. If you ever read relentless by Tim Grover, it's a really great book. He trained both of those guys, MJ and Kobe. And he just has some good stuff about the, the mindset and mentality that you have to have in order to be that kind of next level. Great. Um, and so it's, it's just fun, I think, to me to kind of play those mind games sometimes and be like, you have to prove something to yourself at work, right? Like comparing yourself to people who um, or, or not comparing yourself, but, you know, just kind of competing, making little mind games and competitions with people who are maybe doing a little bit better than you and doing the same thing in the gym. Just kind of having these moments where you're challenging yourself, because what I've come to learn and why I love playing basketball, especially when I'm trying to lose weight is that when I get in the competition and the same thing, it's not even just basketball, dude, it could be flag football. It could be, I'm definitely more, more competitive in basketball, but it could be pickup soccer, anything. I get competitive and I forget like I, this past Tuesday, I forget about my heart rate, right? Like I just forget about how hard I'm really pushing myself this past Tuesday. I'm telling you for an hour and 15 minutes, my heart rate was between 160 and 180. Like it was just constantly high because no matter how tired I get, I'm like, I, I can't not try hard. Right. Like, I just cannot do it. Sometimes I even go in with the mindset of like, I'm not going to really try that hard. And it's really, really difficult. I can do it. I did it kind of the week, like the week or two leading up to the wedding. So I really didn't want to get hurt, but it still went harder than I planned to. And so that's kind of some of the big stuff for today, I think, is I want you to think about, you know, what are the things that you're most afraid of, right? You know, public speaking is a big one for a lot of people. So maybe you don't do public speaking, but maybe you volunteer to read at church or you volunteer to give a presentation at work or you volunteer to, you know, speak in front of your church's youth group or something like that, right? Find some opportunities to do whatever it is that you're most afraid of. Um, you know, I always love the stat. I forget who said it, who put it this well. Um, I want to say it was like, uh, sounds like, like a Simon Sinek line or something like that, but I'm not positive. But somebody talked about, you know, more people are are afraid of uh, public speaking than people are afraid of dying. So that means that a majority of people, when you're at a funeral, would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. That's some crazy stuff, right? Don't be so afraid of these stupid things. And and the other thing about your fears, too, is uh, you, you need to get to the root of them, Right. So we talk about this kind of in like crucial conversations a little bit, Emily, and I might've touched on it, but when you're having a crucial conversation or you're having a beef with somebody, right. And, and your fears are kind of like having a beef with yourself because you'll probably start to argue with yourself about what you should do or what you shouldn't do. 
and you have that little voice in your head, you know what I mean? Speaking on behalf of the fears. And one of the good things to do is just really like break them down. You know, like you're afraid of public speaking. What do you, what are you afraid of? Public speaking. Well, public speaking is not scary. So what are you actually afraid of? You're afraid of the judgment of other people. You're afraid of doing something stupid and embarrassing yourself. You're afraid of what people might think of you. You're afraid of falling as you walk up the stage. You're afraid of, right? Like it's, it's, you're not afraid of speaking. You speak every freaking day in front of other human beings. Making more of them doesn't necessarily make it like pose any threat to you. So get to the bottom of your fears. Why are you afraid of what you're afraid of? You're afraid of jumping out of planes because you're afraid of heights. Nobody's afraid of heights. You're afraid of dying. You're afraid of falling off something really high and smacking into the earth, right? So like, it's okay to use those things. I think like those terms, I'm not telling you to not use those terms for, uh, you know, language purposes, but when you, when you are afraid of something that's actually holding you back, um, and I've had to do this a lot with myself within sales, as I started working in sales is getting to what am I actually afraid of? Right. Um, some of you guys are afraid of, of marriage. Some of you are afraid of, uh, like I said, public speaking. You might be afraid of going to the gym and working out in front of other people. You might be afraid of um, loneliness. You might be afraid of um, going back to church. There's a lot of things you could be afraid of, right? But get to the root of that. When you have a beef with another person, a lot of times what they give you as the problem is not the problem, right? When you say, what's wrong? A lot of times they'll give you some, some BS answer and you have to dig deeper to get to the actual truth. Do the same thing with yourself. When you're afraid or you're posing these fears to yourself, give yourself, you know, like, be like, dude, what are you actually afraid of? That's what you want to figure out. You want to be like, what, what am I afraid of? And start to dive deeper into that and then face it and look at it and be like, this actually isn't that scary. Um, I don't actually need to be afraid of X, Y, or Z. So that's kind of my advice for you today. Now let, let's go through, um, we'll do a little bit of this one rule. Cause what I wanted to share in it wasn't really that, uh, wasn't really that long. So I'm going to first read this quote from JP in, in this, uh, rule five, which is do not do what you hate. Right. So he's talking about, uh, in this section, he's talking about somebody who's afraid of changing careers, essentially. So, you know, in today's world, let me give a little bit of context on the chapter. So do not do what you hate. We've all faced peer pressure, right? You were in high school and grade school, <laughs> middle school. So I'm sure you faced peer pressure at some point in your life. It's not that fun, right? Uh, simply put, it's not really like a good time. And many of us still face peer pressure today for a number of different things. And some people are people pleasers, which is stupid um, and you should stop. But people pleasers basically face peer pressure directly and indirectly constantly, right? Because you're like always worried about what other people think of you, or what other people want you to do, uh, which, is, which is like really silly uh, to put it kindly. And so what he talks about here is basically going through like somebody who is in a position and like working for a company that does things that they like greatly disagree with. Right. Um, so I, I love this. He's like, you, you find yourself in these positions and I've talked about this before too. Let me give another shout out. Uh, I'm using the cards as bookmarks right now, portrait of saints um, and my boy, Thomas Moore here. Cause I've talked about him before when it comes to this stuff. 
And so this dude portrait of Saint shot to my boy Patrick O'Grady for this dope, dope picture of Saint Thomas More that's going to be hanging in my office by the end of the day. Um, so I'm not going to be able to show you anymore. So check out Portraits of Saints. Again, I have no code or anything with them. I just think they're really dope. Portraitsofsaints.com. And so St. Thomas More, right, who lived in a society, uh, a Western society in England. I can't remember when he lived. Uh, I want to say it was like the 1600s. I should probably know that since he's like one of my favorite saints. But it was after the Protestant Reformation, which was like 15, uh, like the 15 teens, 1514, 1517. I can't remember. Um, I can't, I can't think of anything today. But St. Thomas More, I would say, is like a great excuse eliminator for those of us who live in this world today where we're forced to do a lot of things that we disagree with. And that could be diversity training where you're told that all white people are bad, could be gender theory stuff and and people enforcing you to put uh, your pronouns in your bio. It could be posting a black square for George Floyd. It could be a number of different things, right? Uh, Supporting BLM in any way, um, voting Democrat, which I hate. Um, That was kind of a joke. So I hope you hope you enjoyed that it was like my first joke of the day we're pretty deep in for for no no funnies today just all all business all business i think i was just i didn't get enough coffee in beforehand so i'm sorry if this was a bit solemn a bit solemn for you today but you know we have to do a bunch of bs right and and not some of us more than others for sure vaccine you know stuff could be it um having to get vaxxed having to get that jamba juice you know what i'm saying um yeah, that's not that tight if you're forced to do that. Working for companies that donate or support outright uh, abortion. So we're faced with these difficult decisions. And St. Thomas More, I always love, I say he's a great excuse eliminator, right? Because St. Thomas More was uh, a lawyer, basically high up on the king's court for, I want to say it was King Henry VIII. I, don't know, I can't think of anything today, but I'm pretty certain it was King Henry VIII. Right. And the king wanted to get divorced and remarried to somebody else. And he wanted everybody in his court and basically all the officials and the pope to basically sign off on his annulment, saying that his first marriage wasn't real, that he can marry or that his marriage to his second wife was valid. St. Thomas More is like, um, nah, dog, it's going to be a no for me, dog. You know, he was like the first Randy Jackson. It's going to be a no for me, dog. And, uh, so he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he was like, well, I'm going to kill you if you don't. He's like, hey, Abra, do what you got to do. You know, that's what I imagine uh, St. Thomas More said. He said, Abra, do what you got to do, homie. Do what you got to do. I'm ready to see the Lord. I ain't afraid to die. So he's a savage. And so he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Like, kill me. And he's like, all right, bet. So he gets killed. But mind you, St. Thomas More was a husband. He'd worked hard to get to his position professionally. Uh, I'm pretty certain that he had kids. Um, and so he had like all the things that we worry about, right? If we had to like leave our jobs, all this practical stuff, because we have no trust and faith in God, which is wild. And I'm convicted of this too. You know, like I, it's, it's easy to act like you're a tough guy when you're not faced with a lot of these things. And I obviously do some stuff that pisses people off. I've lost a lot of friends, pissed off a lot of family members and things like that for my things that I believe in. Um, but, but anyway, so this is kind of where, uh, Jordan Peterson's at in this chapter, right? When he's talking about do not do the things that you hate because you're in, this is the reason why, this is the reason why, this is the core of this chapter is do not do what you hate because your integrity, 
your honesty and your self-respect is more valuable than your job, than your family's opinion of you, than your friend's respect. And you being right before God is the most important thing. I've shared this quote countless times. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. Abraham Lincoln, somebody asked him, sir, do you think God is on your side? And he said, sir, it is not my concern whether or not God is on my side. My only concern is whether or not I, I am on God's side, whether we are on God's side, for God is always right. And that's what you have to think about. You see these Disney employees going through this stuff right now, Netflix, Twitter, like all these big tech companies, right? But it happens at a lot of these smaller companies that you guys are working at too, where you have to decide, you know, um, am I, am I willing to really fight for what is right? Am I willing to really be, um, uh, you know, pledge my allegiance to the truth. And so he said this, he says this in this, and you know, someone might say I might get fired and he says, well, prepare now to seek out and ready yourself for another job, hopefully better or prepare yourself to go over your manager's head with a well-prepared and articulate argument. And do not begin by presuming that leaving your job, even involuntarily, is necessarily for the worst. Now, this is the part that I highlighted. I really like this because this is what brings in the fear. I'm afraid to move, someone might say. And Jordan says, well, of course you are. But afraid compared to what? Afraid in comparison to continuing in a job where the center of your being is at stake? Where you become weaker, more contemptible, more bitter, and more prone to pressure and tyranny over the years? There are few choices in life where there is no risk on either side. And it is often necessary to contemplate the risks of staying as thoroughly as the risks of moving. I have seen many people move, sometimes after seven years of, several years of strategizing, and end up in better shape psychologically and pragmatically after their time in the desert. Boom. Dude. This is fire. And he goes on to address more fears. Perhaps no one else would want me, right? You wouldn't be able to get another job and things like that. And there's, there's real fears out there, guys. Nobody's, nobody's denying that. But, but do you hear what he's saying there? And, and reminder, this is from Beyond Order by Jordan Peterson. Jordan says, you're, you're afraid compared to what? I, lo- I love this line. There are a few choices in life where there is no risk on either side. And that's what you have to, you have to be afraid of you got to be afraid of some of these intangibles, right? Like sometimes our, our, our subconscious mind that like creates the fear is, is geared towards these practical things, right? Like just like staying alive. But you know here as somebody who seeks excellence that staying alive isn't the only goal of life. The goal of life is to be a saint. The goal of life is to seek excellence, right? To live a life of excellence. So let your fear, let your greater fear than dying be mediocrity. Have a greater fear of hell, of the loss of heaven, than you have of losing your job. Most of us don't have that, and that's our problem. That's why we need to spend more time in prayer. But today, I mean, Good Friday, what a beautiful day to reflect upon this. What did, what did Christ had a greater fear of us not being with him for eternity than he did of the cross. And that's what we need to have. And we have martyrs like St. Thomas More, like many other great saints who are martyred, that had a greater fear of the loss of heaven than of losing their lives. And so let's pray today that we can, we can have that same level of priorities, right? We want to have those same level of priorities. So um, let me read this other. So there's this other uh, quote that I really, really love. And this, this goes right along with what I'm saying. So this is from Beyond Order with Jordan Peterson. He says uh, from, from chapter uh, 
chapter five, rule five, do not do what you hate. He says, unfortunately, people often act in spite of their conscience, even if they know it. And hell tends to arrive step by step, one betrayal after another. And it should be remembered that it is rare for people to stand up against what they know to be wrong, even when the consequences for doing so are comparatively slight. And this is something to deeply consider. If you were concerned with leading a moral and careful life, if you do not object when the transgressions against your conscience are minor, why presume that you will not willfully participate when the transgressions get truly out of hand? Dude, this is, I mean, this, I, dude, I was reading this. I was lit. I had a big star next to it and two underlines under that star, which in Nathan code when reading a book means I love this shit. You know what I'm saying? So dude, I mean, this, this is one of the things that drives me most insane. If you ever heard of the Nuremberg trials, he talks about this a lot too. I don't know. I don't know when he talks about it. I listen and read too much of him, but the Nuremberg trials are the trials that people were put on in Germany after like the Nazis were put on after World War II. So it's basically addressing and going through their, their war crimes, right? The things that they had done wrong, their transgressions. And the big question that came out of the Nuremberg trials was everybody just pled that they were following orders. They were just doing what they were supposed to do, right? They were doing what people had told them to do. The only people responsible for all this were Hitler and the guys at the top. But what people came out of that, and this is philosophy, right? This isn't, this is why we lose philosophy as a freaking society because of progressivism, because progressivism hates philosophy uh, because they'd rather just be emotions-based. But philosophy led the judges and, and the people who were you know, in charge of the trials to come to the conclusion that, you know what? You have a level of responsibility. No matter what your job is, at some point, you're culpable for participating in nonsense. And I say nonsense to be more applicable to our present time and day and age, but for them, for participating in direct evil. And a lot of times the nonsense today is evil too, so I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even make the clarification. You are culpable at some point for participating in evil, even if you were ordered to do so. And you learn this, you know, this is this is true in the United States Army. Like we're trained and, and taught this uh, from early on that you you don't get to just be like, oh, I was ordered to do it, you know, commit these war crimes. So I did it. Um, blame my, my commanding officer. No, you have a responsibility. Now you should generally lean in the direction of, uh, you know, err on the side of following orders. But you don't get to just follow orders and like do some evil, crazy stuff, illegal things. And then be like, yeah, I'm Gucci. It's not how it works, homie. Um, it's just not how it works. And so that's not how it works at your job either. And so I love this. This is, this is the part that I really love. Because I really try to hit on this very often for people. I'm going to read this last, this last bit again. Jordan says, and this is something to deeply consider. If you are concerned with leading a moral and careful life, if you do not object when the transgressions against your conscience are minor, why presume that you will not willfully participate when the transgressions truly get out of hand? Now, this is something that's really interesting. Because I remember first coming across this kind of idea with him. Uh, there's On Amazon Prime, there's the, the Rise of Jordan Peterson as a documentary. And I don't know if you know... Um, much about the rise of Jordan Peterson for, for lack of better terms, 
and how he came to popularity to such popularity on the front of this book, he's got a quote from the New York times that says he is the most influential public intellectual in the Western world right now, which is very true. And to me, I think a very good thing. Um, but basically he was a professor, I believe at the university of Toronto. And I want to say it was built like C16 or something like that. What's the name of it in Canada? Canada is always doing some stupid stuff. No offense to my Canadian listeners, but I think you guys know this to be true. Canada is like a giant California. Um, there's great people, great people in Canada. The government's out of control. Similar to Australia. I love Australians, but the government's just wild. Um, ours is too. So uh, it's not like I'm, I'm over here throwing stones in a glass house for damn sure. But they had this bill coming out that was going to force teachers to use the preferred pronouns of a student. Um, and I don't think, it, I don't know that it was exclusively limited to the classroom. But I know that it would, that would be part of it, right? That would be under the umbrella of the bill. And Jordan, uh, of a trans student, right? Uh, or something like that, or an, anybody. I don't know if it's just trans, the LGBTQIA plus, it's, it's more than just trans. Uh, the alphabet, the alphabet crew. And so, um, so JP was like, this is terrible. Because he saw it as in a massive assault on free speech. Now, mind you, from the very beginning, Jordan cl- clarified, if a, if a trans student of mine were to come up to me and ask me to use certain pronouns, I would do it. But I don't think the government should be able to force me to do it. And so there's an interview in there where somebody's asking him and they're like, you know, there's been so much uh, progress or movements in the LGBT community um, legally, right? Like from the government perspective. And the guy's like, why, why is this where you're drawing the line? He's like, doesn't it, you know, like you already said that you would use their pronouns. Like, why do you care? Like, why, why do you care if the government would force you to do something you would already do anyways, that you would agree with? And Jordan said, you know, it's an interesting point because whenever you're fighting against the government or tyranny or a movement, right? Like progressivism or a revolution or something like that. The, every every place you draw the line is is kind of arbitrary right and he he's got a good point about this too he's posted about this on instagram in one of his slides um or what do they call that uh carousel where you can slide through different quotes and things like that and he he, he points out he says you know you if, if i were going to try to like totally transform you or totally control your life I wouldn't start by just like a, a forced domination, right? So this is what they call like the, the gentle tyranny of the left, of modern day Western civilization. There's not this like brute force power just coming out and like killing people and, and, and killing dissenters, right? It's taking a little bit of control at a time. And you, you, you take enough control and you push it far enough that people are kind of like pissed off about it. And then you back off a little bit. Then you kind of let things settle. And then you, and when you know, when things are kind of calm and you've kind of adjusted to that new normal, you push it a little bit further and then you stop and you kind of relax. And that's what you're seeing happen in the United States. It's been happening for 75 years, right? From the sexual revolution, uh, no fault divorce and all these things that have kind of happened. Um, And people just kind of have gradually gotten used to this new normal. And our new normal for most of us who remember the old normal is like dystopian wackiness. But some people are just like, yeah, this is, it's just fine. And many people are so oblivious to what's happening that they don't even know what's going on. This is really highlighted really well. Dave Rubin talked about this this past week, I want to say. Yeah, 
uh, of um, Dennis Prager from Prager U went on Bill Maher, whatever his stupid ass show is called. He's one of my least favorite people in America. Uh, I know conservatives love to talk about him because he's so close to becoming conservative, even though he's still in denial of that. But I just think he's so smug and ridiculous. It, he, I, I think he's like one of the most hateable people in the country, <laughs> truly, um, which is which is hard to even break top 100 in that list. And I think he's done it. But but Dennis Prager is talking about, you know, like you like how the LGBT community, especially the trans community, wants like if you if you don't agree that like men can menstruate, that men can have periods, that you're transphobic. And he brings this up in this like argument about gender theory with like three Democrats, right? Three progressives, including Bill. And Bill's like, what? What are you even talking about? Men can menstruate? Like, who says that? Who says that? And Dave Rubin on, on the Rubin Report this past week, Google it. Can men menstruate? And the first answer from Google is yes. Menstruating is not something that is specific to women. Men, like anybody can menstruate. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. But, but certain progressives are either like oblivious to what's happening or it's, it's part of that. Again, it's just kind of like an inch by inch. We're just kind of pushing it down the road. And once people are like, this is ridiculous, they kind of back off. But most of the, the, a great, another great example of this is most people who are progressives or pro-gay marriage now or pro-trans stuff, put gender pronouns in their bio, especially those who are over the age of like 30, right? I would say even 25. But let's, let's say over the age of 35, just to be like really safe to say that, you know, 15 years ago, they were still adults. Because I know there's an argument like those of us, I'm 28, right? And so everybody that I was peers with, it's funny to me that like, I, I always think this is really funny. I have this one old friend of mine that I knew growing up who hates me now because I'm like a racist Trump supporter, which I pray to God Trump does not run again. I'm not like some diehard Trump supporter, but that's who I am in his mind. He's a white guy who used to like, I remember like early college years, end of high school would call me the N word and not like ER, you know what I mean? But just would like use the N word kind of casually in rap songs and just kind of like talk to me. And I hated it. And I would ask him to stop. I was like, please don't do that. I don't like that. And this is when I registered as a Democrat, right? Like I'm Democrat. He was, he was homophobic. And like, I'm not talking homophobic. Like didn't think gay people should get married homophobic. Like today, today's world that people call it homophobic. I'm talking like he hated gay people. Like hated them. Um, and would call me the N word fast forward seven years. And I'm some racist Trump supporter and he's a progressive leftist. Um, so don't ask me how that works. But I, my point is that, 15 years ago, if you asked any of us, any people who are, like I said, who are 35 and over, but even people who are 25 and over, can a man become a woman? The answer was absolutely not. What the f- are you talking about? Right? Like it was absolutely like hard. No, nobody believed that. Nobody, zero people. Um, Joe Biden, for damn sure, you ask him when he was 40 years old, do you think a man could become a woman? He would act like that was crazy. He didn't think black people, white people should be together when he was 40. So, I mean, but these people have no spine, right? They have no soul. So they do have souls. That's not nice to say that they don't have souls. They just don't care about the future of them would be my assumption. Um, but they just kind of, you just kind of drift with the wind and that's, you're no better than that, which is the point of this line that I've loved and, and read to you twice now. If you do not object when the transgressions against your conscience are minor. So the Nazis, the progressives, the uh, and I'm not saying that progressives are Nazis, but I'm just giving you different examples. 
the Nazis, the progressives, um, those of us who actively do the things that we hate and do things we disagree with and, and say things that we know to be false. It all starts with letting little things go. And that was Jordan's point in that interview when somebody said, isn't it kind of arbitrary? Why do you care? If you would use the pronouns anyways, why do you care? And he said, it's always arbitrary. Whenever you're fighting against dishonesty, whenever you're fighting against tyranny, there's always some arbitrary point. If the, if the, if the person pushing for tyranny is, is good at what they do, they're not going to come out and just all at once do everything, right? That's why you kind of see they're very strategic, right? It's like BLM at one moment, right? In critical race theory. And then they kind of put them back on the shelf and they say, all right, now we're going to let immigration run wild. And now we have, you know, massive inflation because we're going to push this green agenda. And then uh, and it kind of ebbs and flows. And now you see immigration's kind of coming back up, right? And then we're going to have Pride Month and it's going to be gender theory stuff and don't say gay bill and all these other things, right? So it kind of ebbs and flows, right? We're kind of, we're not going to push everything at once. We're not going to necessarily propose full-term abortion. And after two weeks, you can still kill the baby even after it's born and uh, open the borders wide up and, uh, you know, push for gender theory and tell you you're a transphobic if you think we shouldn't be able to teach kids that they can pick their gender at age five, Um we're not going to do all that at once. Yes, that's the, the plan. We got to casually, you know, gradually get there. But this is this is the thing. And, and I talked about this a lot with my friend, uh, Bridget, um, according to Bridget on Instagram. She's one of my favorite accounts. And she came on the podcast and we talked about uh, martyrdom, preparing to die. Right. Prepa- that was the episode uh, title. But we have this we have this false belief that if we don't die to ourselves a little bit now, if we're not willing to be embarrassed, if we're not willing to be cut off, to have my stupid ass friend who used to call me the N word and hate gay people, uh, if I'm not willing to have him hate me, what makes you think that I would do the St. Thomas More thing and I would defend traditional marriage to the point of death? Right? If you do not object when the transgressions against your conscience are minor, why presume that you will not willfully participate when they truly get out of hand? There's no reason to assume that. But we do. And why do you do it? To make yourself feel better, to make yourself feel like you would. I would stand up for my faith. I would stand up for the truth. But how are you doing that now? I'm telling you, my friends, there's going to be a great uh, weeding out of those who are really about this life and those who are not um, in the coming years. And you get to decide. You get to choose which side you're going to be on. I think this presidency, this administration is going to be big for that because people are really seeing that agenda uh, clearer than ever with flying the trans flags outside of government buildings and the immigration stuff and uh, Afghanistan, uh, way Ukraine and Russia is being handled, uh, Hunter Biden stuff is coming out more and more. Um, the, the abortion agenda is just getting unreal in certain places. Um, in most places, I would say. So people are seeing it all. Uh, and we, what, what I think is going to be interesting is, is when history looks back, right, when you're talking to your grandkids, are you going to be the one that's, that's uh, you know, yeah, it took me a long time, but eventually I finally saw the stuff that was going on. But by then it was too late. Are you going to be one of the people that was like, I fought against this stuff from the beginning? And that's what we need to be. But you can't do it without the grace of God, which is why you should download Hallow and start praying more. Anyways, another great prayer tool that I want to talk about. They were very gracious uh, to send me these. Um, 
uh, from uh, my homie at Everyday Prayer Co. So you can find our Everyday Prayer Co. on Instagram or everydayprayerco.com. These little wallet rosaries, dude. I love these. So this little bad boy, uh, I post about it on Instagram a little bit, but send me the cards with the, the mysteries, the different mysteries of the rosary. And I love this. Everyday Prayer Co., we got this, this wallet rosary. I keep it with me all the time. I can take it in the sauna or the steam room, you know, because it's made out of metal. Um, and it's just super dope. You just kind of use the dots and go around and pray the rosary. I need to pray the rosary more often. So do you. Um, so let's, let's start doing that. You can use tools like this to keep one with you all the time because it's so easy to forget your rosary at home. And so I just want to talk to you about that really briefly. But, hey, dude, thank you for so much for tuning in today. It's always great to be able to talk with you. It's an honor and a privilege. Um, and it's not one that I take lightly. So know that I'm out here trying to strive for excellence in my own life. Hope you will pray for me. Know of my prayers for you. I was just praying for the podcast listeners at Mass last night for Holy Thursday. Um, and yeah, continue to fight hard. Strive to be your best. Your practical homework for this week is to pray about what am I most afraid of? What do you fear? And what are you doing that you hate? Talk about it with your, your excellence accountability partner. If you don't have one, get one. God bless you. Fight hard. Be your best.